ready? We're gonna yes, sing. Like we're gonna good. sing a theme song. Ready? Three, two, one. There's no fear. No. Oh no! It doesn't work because of the streaming. No. It was very deep. Did we start? So this is podcast number five, and we've decided to change it up. So there's still Katie Cawthon's here. Say hello, Katie. Hello, Katie. And there's me, I'm Laura, but there's also a third guest, and his name is Liam Barwick. Say hello, Liam. Hello. Would you like to um, <laughs> just tell our, our myriad of listeners who you are and what you do? Um, Besides well, being a great drinking buddy of ours? Primarily drinking buddy of yours. Uh, <laughs> I guess I am a stage manager uh, in... Commercial theatre, really, predominantly. Yeah, stage manager generally. I mean, I've done lots of different things. I've been a sound designer for your show, Laura. Yeah. <laughs> and I've been production managers and I've been uh, uh, everything. But at the moment, stage manager. And what show are you stage managing when you're not in lockdown? Uh, I'm currently an assistant stage manager on uh, a small independent production called Harry Potter and the Castle. <laughs> <laughs> Um, cool. So, should we all say what we're drinking and use three words to describe it? Okay, you go first. <laughs> okay, I'm drinking Bird in Hand. It's a sparkling 2019 wine from South Australia. Um, it's, oh, well, it is delicious. That is going to be my first uh, adjective. Uh, I'm just going to have a little sip so I can <laughs> recall. It's, it's very light um Ooh. and it doesn't I, it's one of those you know how sometimes champagne kind of sits quite heavy and syrupy on the back it doesn't do that mm-hmm. it oh, kind yeah. of like goes through the mouth it's very light and like almost fluffy in a way so oh, light, fluffy champagne and delicious there you go <laughs> hey you know what i learned the other day uh here immediate tangent sorry but you know that myth of well that idea of that there's different areas of your tongue do different things like there's bitterness on yeah. the sweetness on the tip and different sides completely false what everything yeah, it all does the same thing them. it's all the same there's no taste buds in the middle of your tongue but the whole it's all just everywhere and there's taste buds on the top of your mouth as well and uh like misquoted from an article 50 years ago which was itself misquoted from another article 50 years prior to that <laughs> oh my God, my life and we just carried on this did you just say there's taste buds on the top of your mouth? Yeah. I didn't know that. On the, like the roof. Like there's taste buds everywhere. Okay, this is going to end up. There's taste buds everywhere. Like taste buds, <laughs> but they, they found taste buds in your heart. They don't what? know what they're there for, but I'm just reading this book, this book called The Body by Bill Bryson. Anyway, it's just, it's very interesting. Oh my God, I want to read it. Yeah. Right. No, like it's, no, no, it's fine. We we often don't talk about theatre. <laughs> but it is, it is to do with drinking champagne, Liam, and that's equally exactly. as important. Yeah. Okay, tell us about your shampoo. Uh, <laughs> this is a bottle, it's literally just called Fizz. Uh, but it's some bougie boutique bottle that I bought from some cute little independent wine store. Um, and I believe it is essentially just sparkling Chardonnay. But it uh, was mid-range cost-wise, and it tastes great. I would say it's uh, it's custody. Ooh. Ooh. Custody. It's, Does it have custody uh, of the kids? Uh, it's... Um, <laughs> 
slightly sour and it's uh, a lovely greenish color. <laughs> Green? I think, is it cloudy? Yeah, it's cloudy. Is it like a natty light? Like is there a bit of like funkiness to it? Yeah, it's funky, <laughs> which makes me think it's healthy. Yeah, vinegar. And it probably goes very well with a soft cheese. Yeah, I imagine. Well, I love that you're, you work in commercial theatre and you're drinking the independent uh, brand of fizz, whereas I yeah. work in independent theatre and I'm drinking the commercial brand, <laughs> a, bu- <laughs> a bottle of Jantz, which oh, you can't fizz. go past, you can't go wrong with, Tasmanian sparkling. Again, I bought, I'm drinking this because I did do a Dan Murphy's stock up, so the old, the old Cartner 6. So keep me going for at least two weeks. Um, uh, let me think of the flavor. How do I describe this? Hang on. Is that you smacking your lips? It was me smacking my cups. Um, I actually think Jance is good for winter. I think it is. It's more of that kind of syrupy taste that you were describing before, Laura. I think it's a good. It's it's got a depth to it that is great for winter and less sparkling less bright so it's got what did i say it's kind of syrupy it's got a it's deep there's a bitterness as well syrupy deep and bitter perfect for talking about theater it's a great memoir title syrupy <laughs> deep, deep and, and bitter. bitter my life okay so we set ourselves a task to watch a piece of theater online and there has been so much available which has been it's been great, but it's also been a bit overwhelming. I found it hard to to choose and to. I feel like, oh, I'm not a very good theatre maker because I'm not watching all the stuff. <laughs> um, but also spending all day on Zoom teaching and like you know, what, like you're typing, you're typing your plays, you know, doing all of that, mm-hmm. and then going and watching something online as well. It's yeah. like it's and also it's like not even, good on the even right. like the National Theatre or something that's with really high quality in their filming. It's not as good as seeing it live, and so and also it's hard. It's, I find it really hard to sit and be like, okay, cool, I'm going to watch a play for three hours. Yes. Just like watching a right. screen, like it's it's amazing how atmospheric and how much part of the experience is like literally going out and finding a seat and sitting there and not being mm. able to be distracted by anything and yeah, you need all that as well as the whatever's happening on stage. I think to really like oh, absolutely, yeah, because it's about the energy within the room, which comes from the audience and comes from what's happening on stage. Mm. Whereas here, you're just in your own house and on a tiny little screen, like. This piece you had to watch on your computer, yeah. so it's yeah. on a very small screen. But, but even saying that, of all the things that you've just said, which is problematic with watching theatre at home, this could not have been a more perfect piece to absolutely try and yeah recreate the effect yeah. of the theatre. So we watched The Encounter, created by Complicité, a fantastic UK uh, theatre company, primarily working in devised theatre, which is our fave. Um, and this piece toured internationally a couple of years ago. I think it was at the Sydney Festival last year or the year before. Um, Did you see it live? And no, I haven't seen it live, but I remember seeing it in the program and going, oh, God, I would love to get up there to see this, just because of the reputation of the company. I've never seen anything from the company before except the Bryony Kimmings piece, um, The Pacifist Guide to the War on Cancer, which she was commissioned by Complicité to make. Um 
But, yeah, the reputation of that company and Simon McBurney, who's the artistic director, is just, it's out of this world. And and the way they work, you know, I, I've always been, I'd, I've always wanted to see some of their work because I know that they work in such a, um, a process that is really organic in the room and, and I guess what we strive to work with in the anchor in that really devised way, super collaborative uh, and and um, experimenting with how you manipulate them, the different, the varying elements within the medium, mm. which this piece did amazingly. Oh, yeah, and also like kind of coming back to a theme and then exploring that one theme. Um, yeah. Like, I feel like this, like the encounter was primarily about time and mm. the way in which we commodify or quantify or dole out time in our society western world and then mm. the way in yeah. which like actually that's just a story and there's a completely other different ways of perceiving it and it's mm-hmm. like and i loved it at the start how it was just like everything is fiction even like the story you tell yourself about your life is just like a, a fiction it's not real it's not actually what happened it's the way in which you're trying to link like a co- there's a cause and effect and it makes sense in some way. Absolutely. I, I also, though, because I was trying, you know, it was interesting you said to me yesterday, I wonder how you're going to respond to this because it's really story-driven. Mm. And I still, I very much appreciate a story, but it was more, it was more because it was so word-heavy that I was like, especially at the end of the day, like I didn't start watching it till sort of 8 o'clock last night. And I was like, okay, cool, concentration, got to concentrate really hard. And I do switch off when there's too many words sometimes. And I did. There were a few times where I switched off and I was like, oh, God, what what just happened? I can't remember. But um, I do think it was important for this work for it to be so story-driven because of the because of the uh, suspension of disbelief that the, was required from the audience. So we needed to have that to anchor us something that we recognised to anchor us, which was the story. You know, we can all come back to a story. And and that was something we didn't have to piece together so much mm-hmm. with this piece, whereas we had to really, I, I found um, just working within all the, the technical elements sometimes was quite um, not difficult, but, you know, I had to stay on board for them. Um, just for people that haven't seen it, if you're listening, it's uh, a one-man show that utilizes so as you walk into the theater or as you watch it on your screen you're asked to put on headphones and so for the duration of the piece you are listening to the audio through headphones and the guy who is the one man i don't know his name katie you don't know, you know his name. one man simon so he's the artistic director right. of the company and who's like a very charming and lovely and fantastic actor oh. Um, he's charming very charming and he's he's English but he 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 does an amazing American accent too and he begins by kind of teaching you about the mechanisms and the um almost like sleight of hand that audio can do he you know changes a um a pitch of a certain microphone down and then speaks into that and then uses a different accent and then suddenly it feels like there's a whole other person on stage just because that's what you're hearing and he has this incredible apparatus that's a um just just a microphone that tracks where the sound is coming from in the room and then transfers that into your ear so if you're sitting facing north or oh, that's impossible if you're sitting facing forward <laughs> I was like, north if you're sitting facing forward uh, uh, he's he's able to make you feel like 
there's sounds coming from behind you, from your, the left of you to the right of you, just by using his apparatus. And so he kind of introduces these mechanisms that, and, and keeps reiterating that it's all artifice, it's, it's not real. But yeah. because our yeah. senses, when we're so tuned into our senses, we're so, it's so easy to um, think that someone's crinkling paper right behind you even though mm. when you look around there's no one there and it's just him because of the way in which our, I don't know, I, I, that really highlighted the way in which I used my ears, especially because I live in a share house. And so I was like, oh, someone must be. Yeah. No, yeah. And I found that element of the production incredible. And then he goes on to talk, he goes on to tell this amazing story, which is actually out of a book, but he kind of has theatricalized it about a guy in the 60s. He's a National Geographic photographer and he goes into the Amazon rainforest to photograph a specific tribe and he ends up finding them but there's trouble in the tribe and then the story kind of goes from there. I really like the way uh, that beginning bit that you just described, the way that they utilise that. I mean, again, the last few weeks we've really talked about the craft of theatre making and the way they utilise that to set up the rules and the structure for the audience. Mm. And we talked about that in our last podcast and then we talked about that in our last online chat together with Liam, just the importance of setting up the rules. And with a work like this, there were so many rules to it that if... But then also that you've messed with the rules, which I thought was really fun. Like, I mean, spoiler alert, but what was really clever was how he set up those rules and said, here I am whispering into your left ear, now I'm whispering into your right ear, and then he walked away and it turned out he'd been lip-syncing himself for the past 30 seconds (laughs) and it was through recording. And so he said, huh, don't trust everything I tell you. Yeah. Because everything is a a creation. But but it does prepare us for... I I feel like it kind of opens your mind and prepares you for, oh, okay, right. So I'm going to listen hard. I'm going to really tune into this because, mm, yeah, things will not be as they said. Yeah. Oh, my yeah. God. I watched it. So I, like you, Katie, I watched it like mm, like 8 o'clock at night or whatever, but in a completely dark room with just me. <gasps> and it was really creepy, especially to start with, because the little whispers or just even like rustles from the audience that kind of got caught through it were terrifying because it mm, felt yeah. so there. And, yeah, my God. I mean, I thought it was an amazing show, but just technically, I think mm. we tried to do that at uni once with headphones, um, and it's impossible. I mean, it's just so difficult to achieve, let alone, I'm sure you guys, I was just blown away at the technical side of mixing that show and cueing that show and making it so seamless. And then also... Then you add in the fact that he did a two and a half hour monologue. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. He was also controlling everything on. It's just technically groundbreaking in that yeah. sense that mm, you kind of have yeah. to be in awe, regardless of whether you liked it or not. But mm, then, yeah, to then keep you going pace wise through all of that is just insane. that was in- absolutely insane. Yeah, and I, I also like. I was watching that and because I saw, you know, I always check. Now you can check how long it's going to be. I mean, we do, even before we go yeah. to see a live show now, we're like, oh, 120 minutes, fuck, how are we going to do this? Um, two gin and, and tonics. And seeing that, yeah, it was like two hours and two, two hours and 15 minutes, so I was like, oh, okay, and it's a one-man show, so surely there'll be a break because he can't do that for the whole time. And right. then, you know, when he started, I was like, well, how is this going to sustain me for two, two hours and 15 yeah. minutes? But, whoa, the the peaks and troughs of that work. Yeah, right. 
were amazing and the surprises because I was like, well, you've set everything up now, so I know all yeah. the rules. But then, yeah, yeah, those surprises and the breaking of the rules was yeah. really exciting in the work. The only thing for me that made me fall out of it was just the over, over, overly verbose. But I know that you probably appreciated that a lot more than I did, Laura, because you do love words. Yeah, I did. It, there were moments though, because because it was so wordy and because it, it was basically like being read a story, that I was mm. a bit like, like why why this story? Like I found mm. it, and I don't know, and I haven't really formulated this idea before, just saying it to you guys. But like, he is a white dude. And he's really impressed by this other guy that like went into the jungle in the 60s and went on this amazing adventure that's a true story. And he does talk about truth and whether like, and even though their stories, how much of it is true and all that kind of thing, but like this is purported to be a true story of this man who is quite brave to like drop into the Amazon and then just like follow a tribe kind of thing. It's pretty amazing. It's a crazy story. Yeah, incredible story. But I was a bit like, this seems like a really important story to you because this guy almost seems like a hero to you. But, uh, and it's cool. Yeah. But I was a bit like, when is this going to matter in a larger sense? Other than like the kind of discussion about time, other than right at the end when he did talk about how um, the people in the Amazon, you know, are the people fighting to keep the Amazon alive and how important those people are and, and about like, interrupting tribes and and, the, and Western civilization kind of coming or Western culture coming to um, these remote yeah. tribes and how damaging that can be and all that kind of thing. But I was expecting it to be like, and then here's the big point that I'm going to make by telling you this story. And, and, yeah, and because it was so wordy, I did sometimes drop out of it. And I was a bit like, mm. this guy loves this. There's something about yeah. the story that this person loves that I am like on board with, but I'm not, mm. I'm not feeling that same affinity with, I guess. And I, I don't know if that's an yeah. identity thing. I don't really know. Maybe it's just because I'm not into jungle treks. I have no idea why. What about you, Liam? Like, did, you, did you find yourself being like, oh, I'm so into this story? Um, I think to go back to what um, Katie was saying about it being a little bit overly verbose, I think you typically work in a lot of physical theatre. And for me, I love that about you and your work. And I think in this thing, what replaced the physicality so perfectly was this incredible soundtrack and this kind of atmosphere of sound around you. That was enough for me yeah. to replace the physicality. Like, because this is sound on a whole other level to any other theatre show you've ever done. Like, it's literally yeah, surround sound. And it and it physically took me, that, like, at the start of watching it, I kept closing my eyes because I almost wanted to listen Dang. to it as a radio play. Mm. Yeah. Um, and so I think I, I absolutely see your point, Laura, about, like, the problematic side of things of just being another white man telling an Indigenous story. But I think... A, he was interested in it. Just he's clearly just a man for storytelling. Like, and I think that was also, as well as it being about time, the play was about the power of storytelling. Hence, why he kept cutting back to his daughter a story and Mm. all of this, the kind of the innocence of the childlike storytelling. And I think maybe it was just a really great story to tell that he read somewhere. And obviously, there's the importance of indigenous tribes that are being encroached upon and I think it's the most powerful way you could get across that 
if if the point was to make people realize that these people are coming into these indigenous tribes and destroying them and clearly this has been going on i mean this man did this in the 60s um so now it's 60 uh, 60 years later people are still uh, cutting down mm. the amazon rainforest mm. um yeah uh, he he made what an amazing way to get it across like if you're not going to listen you're not going to take notice then let me literally put you in the tribe yeah. with them and then you'll maybe take notice and i mean what a way to develop empathy for someone you know i mean it went up a little off course here and there but if that was his ultimate goal to engage empathy with the audience about the plight of these indigenous communities then i certainly felt like i'd met them now yeah <laughs> and I'm yeah right yeah I feel like that I'm assuming that was the ultimate goal, especially because at the end, you know, he comes out and he says, so, you know, I'm going to thank this person and this person, but I also, you know, spent time in the in the Amazon with this particular tribe and they they said to me, please tell people we exist. Mm. And I feel like that that is the essence of the work, but I feel like mm. that got lost in... Um, the story of the white man because it was just the it was constant like over description of of his experience um and i know that there was the language barrier there obviously but that's why i feel like that could have been edited down a little bit so it was a bit more i feel like it it could have been a bit more equal I i feel like it was a it was buried a little bit um and that there were some some lovely little moments of symbolism or big moments of symbolism, like when he literally smashes up the entire stage, which I fucking oh, loved. Amazing, mm. amazing. Loved it. I was like, thank goodness. Like, it's all and totally that, changed. And the bonfire moment as well, oh. of like the concept of just like, why don't Americans go out on the street and burn everything to get rid of it? Love that. And I felt like that's so poignant right now, you know? Mm. Like, it's, I mean, it's been poignant since Trump's been elected. But mm. it's become more so and more so. Like we're at the pointy end of the triangle now with that. Um, but yeah. I also feel like that did require you to have a certain, to bring a certain amount of willingness to piece it all together as an audience member. And I feel like at one hour after one hour and thirty minutes of this one man monologue that some people would have tapped out and could come back in for the spectacle of it but go, hang on, how does this all fit in? Mm. Um it required you to do quite a bit of work. I also think as Australians, we have a different relationship to the concept of indigenousness. Like I think that we are much mm. more aware and much more morally sensitive to the fact that we are benefiting from our ancestors exploiting and totally destroying the lives of Indigenous people's ancestors. And well, we're morally sensitive. As in, I don't know. Yeah, as in me, me as an Australian agree. watching this thing, and and so this English man who is telling me this American man story about this Indigenous tribe, as an yeah. Australian person who is very um, like, like tries to educate themselves as much as possible and, and is very yeah. sensitive around Indigenous issues within my own country, I felt like this person is, I don't know, it's almost like making, like going the long way around it or something. I don't know. Yeah. And I think that's something yeah. that's a weird resentment for me because I, I've been to England and I've had dinners with English people who don't have any... Um, ownership or concept that uh, that 
of the damage that England has done to Indigenous people. And I think that although, like, I actually really loved the encounter and I thought it was a beautiful piece of theatre, there was a part of me that was like, this is just, like, layers and layers and layers of, like, this imperialist perspective that... But saying you know, that now and hearing you guys, the more I actually think about it now, um, I'm, I'm actually kind of coming to the realisation that I think uh, the actor was making out McIntyre the the American guy to be the villain. I think he was clearly the villain. I mean, he as soon as he introduced his voice in that deep American <laughs> voice, he called him this stoic. Like it was a it was a caricature of an American. Like it's this yeah. stoic, deep voiced man. And when you actually think back on the play, he was a, he was an absolute villain the whole time. Like yeah. he was obsessed with keeping remaining in control. He was obsessed with getting his ultimate purpose, which was. Capturing, mm, the photos. capturing them, uh, yeah. I.e., that somebody kept taking and photos without their permission as well. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, this McIntyre guy is, is like you're right, Laura. He's an asshole, and I, <laughs> I actually think maybe the British, the British complicity guy was actually kind of in on the joke that McIntyre was a bit of a dick, and actually yeah. took a while to come round to the idea because he was also totally, totally uncomfortable with the idea of, rel- of relinquishing control to this tribe. Like, he couldn't handle the concept of not being able to communicate with them. He couldn't handle losing his sneakers in a fire. He couldn't yeah. handle losing his camera because the whole purpose was to mm. validate his experience. And mm. so even at the end, he lost control. And in some way, he, McIntyre, the character, never really quite got it. I mean, he still returned mm. to his comfortable little homeland. So maybe this concept... Uh, maybe Simon, the British, the British data, actually kind of pulled us all in the end, and the America. He actually turned out to be this big kind of buffoonish kind of clown of a villain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and it's interesting that these thoughts are now kind of. I've started thinking about that this relationship between the, whose story it is and rah, 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 which I think that if it had just if it had been from the perspective of an, an indigenous person, maybe I wouldn't have even thought about that. Yeah, I don't know. Mm. My counter to that is that within the audio, which I fucking loved, there were like mm. um, these layers of grabs of it sounded like interviews from experts kind of going over the yeah. top of the action. And some of the experts were talking about McIntyre, who they were talking about this, the main character, this American main character, and how after he came out, he had this like really strong relationship with the um, character called Barnacle, who's like the chief of the tribe. Yeah. Um, yeah. And how, uh, so that like kind of of a way of proving to us as the audience that this is, was a true story and that like there have been, it was, it was like citing other references, but orally to make sure that we understood that he, he is a real person, but who knows if those are true as well, because there was so much like layering of, What's truth? What's fiction? Yeah. I think they were real. I did some research to it, and I think those <laughs> experts uh, mm. were real. Were real interviews, but right, it felt a little. It could feel a little like schooling, schooling the um, indigenous person again on the concept of time. Whilst the whole point of the show was to talk about your concept is irrelevant and um, <laughs> think about things differently. Like step yeah. back a moment, and we've been here a lot longer. I mean, it's like everything. You're talking about our relationship with indigenous people. Australian Indigenous people have been telling us for the length of time, for all the time, that the relationship with the land is so important. Yeah. We just went over that so many times in the show. 
like you know, yeah, yeah. More, more clearly. Yeah. Um, did you watch the Q and A? The month? No, 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 I didn't. There's a Q and A, and he he when he spent the time with them over there because he's very interested. It was very interesting. Mm. <laughs> um, he's very interested in the concept of consciousness. And the fact that um, it's really fascinating, he kind of, the Q&A becomes a bit of a lecture, but he's talking about trying to search for consciousness and the the idea of um, memory and imagination are interchangeable in terms of the biochemistry of them. They're kind of one and the same. Mm -hmm. Um, And in their interview with uh, the Indigenous tribe, he, they were talking consciousness and somehow through the translation they said what's consciousness and they pointed to the forest, to the Amazon and it, essentially the nature is their consciousness, they are one with nature and that's their consciousness and even mentioned in passing that's why they paint themselves so that the forest recognise them as part of them ah. um, and so the connection is so, the connection with the land is so far beyond anything we could ever ever understand yeah absolutely well because we're all like foreign to the land that we live on like i know that you know we have generations here but like tens of thousands of years of understanding about how the land works and the seasons and the way in which like i remember going to stay with someone down at Wye river a couple of years ago and the guy who owned the property had been there for 50 years he'd like he'd built on the property which in the scheme of indigenous people is nothing but it was incredible to meet him because he just knew it so well. And on the property, there was a, um, a a creek that ran down to the sea, and he knew exactly when the eels would migrate off the creek and when they would migrate wow. down. And he just like understood the changing of all of the different moments and the seasons and and the flora and fauna that existed within this property. And you need to stay put and know that and pass that knowledge down through generations and. Mm. Yeah, it's almost like there's it's the way the the faster and it come it does come back to time. Like the the way in which we live our lives is so fast, and we don't allow ourselves to slow down to that that kind of pace of mm. nature, and therefore mm-hmm. we're unable unless to we're in a pandemic. It. Yeah, unless we're in a pandemic, and then you're like, oh, the shadows yeah. are interesting from that tree. Mm-hmm. <laughs> really we notice things finally. Yeah, it's like Brian. Did you notice the leaves fall off every six months? <laughs> <laughs> and then they grow back. <laughs> yeah. You have no idea. You just think someone plants a new tree every three months or something. Because <laughs> it's all about us. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, can I just um, throw in the blood that happened before the blood and I was freaking out? In the, you know, uh, when he was, um, so he cut, he cuts his arm, obviously, but before that, after he'd smashed up the whole stage, he was sitting at the table and he had blood on his hands and I was freaking out going, oh, he's, sm- he's cut himself during the smash up. It looks fake. Yeah. I think it's fake. It looks pretty well, fake. I think it was, yeah. I think the, the blood capsule for the arm had gone squeeze too early or something but I didn't realize until the arm happened and I was I lost all of that section because I was just so worried (laughs) about the blood freaking out about yeah just going oh my gosh but he's so professional 
he's still performing and he's losing litres of blood. <laughs> Talk about, but the set as well was pretty, I thought that was great. Like I said, yeah. I went to the start of the show, the first probably 15 minutes, I really just wanted to close my eyes the whole time. Mm. And then yeah. and then I realised they were doing projections on the back wall and it, it yes. did work really well. It was kind of like a dance piece really with the side lighting. Mm. The yeah, the side lighting was beautiful. It always is. And it's all like the, the, trick the plastic bottles. Look beautiful. Yeah, with, I was like, what with all the plastic bottles? And then I was like, ah, that's with all the yeah, plastic bottles. What? Okay, the back wall. Was that speakers? Yes. Yeah. Like, what was that? It looks like that insulation foam that you have in sound booths. Oh, maybe it was your soundproofing. It must have been. Yeah, it, it was. It was. It was meant to be. It was meant to be what you. Do. It's essentially like a a silence chamber. Like it's what it's. Super uber uber professional sound studios would have those kind of conical shapes. Um, whether it actually was that or not, I mean, mm. it kind of might have been irrelevant. It might have just been a set because that stuff's really expensive so. as well. Um, but I think it was meant to like emulate that and also genius to add yeah. project onto. Yeah, well. it's very clever. Messes with your eyes. I went to an yeah, amazing go. exhibition once in the. This is such a stupid name drop, but like, uh, it, like on the top floor of the Guggenheim in New York City, it's not like a name drop. It's like this one time when I was in New York. But, um, <laughs> Someone had a fun life. It was an exhibition on the top floor, which was uh, just a room that was covered floor to ceiling everywhere in that sound absorbing um, wow. foam. And essentially, it was just, the concept was just to be ultra silent, like complete silent room. And you sat, you just walked in, and I was there with like three other people, and you just sat on the ground and you sat there for five minutes in complete silence, like you couldn't hear it. You could hear a pin drop. Sounds and very Marina Abramovich. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's fascinating. Did you like? I was thinking, click or like sorry. talk within that space. Like, did you want to like make sound? Whenever it's that quiet, I'm always like, ah, I want to, like, scream. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, there was, like, three people, I think, the, the concept, the implied concept was sit. <laughs> yeah, and consider the other people in the room. <laughs> just, like, yeah, feel yeah. the <laughs> But uh, you'd, like, it'd be so awkward. Like, I'd go in there and I'd sneeze accidentally or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ruin everything. Until about, like, a quarter of the way or halfway through that show, the encounter, I thought, oh, this is quite a shit cheap show to travel. This is good. Just one performer, a few mics, and then, then it just shit got real with the tech mm. and with what they did with the set and just the projectors. I was like, oh, shit, this is very expensive, mm. this show. And all those headphones because they'd need to supply really great headphones. That, the headphones that, that's the thing, you know, yeah. with that sort of tech. Yeah, and, you know, you were talking about that show that you did um, at drama school, Liam, that was um, you tried to do the same, emulate the same thing, but tech always goes wrong. So how do they ensure that? I was thinking like, that. I was like, if my headphones stopped working halfway during the show, you'd be like uh, trying to grab it. I want my money back. <laughs> yeah. Excuse me. Right. Sorry, have... could you just stop for a moment? Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's also, again, that classic thing of working in theatre, knowing too much about theatre really fucking ruins theatre. Yeah, like, yeah. The, the whole um, the destruction scene and all those microphones everywhere and um, it looks incredibly spontane like spontaneous and yeah. um, impromptu and I think anyone who'd just go and see the show would feel the same, whereas actually yeah. you're like, oh, no, like 
he's being tracked and this is heavily choreographed and heavily scripted uh, in the way that like they wouldn't be able to follow along unless he stuck to some kind of rigid Um, i want more people to do stuff like that i mean i'm sure there is more stuff like that but the concept of like a uh, stereo binaural i'm not sure what it's called but that why is there not a podcast that's like that? Yeah. That's like yeah. we're walking through the street and you can feel it's it. It's expensive. It's expensive. You've got to be good. You've got to be like, you got to know Probably. what you're doing. You've got to do it well. You can't just yeah. like but Skype some friends and hit record like we do. <laughs> <laughs> have you, have you, as a like a recommendation for your plethora of listeners, uh, have you <laughs> <laughs> listened to uh, a podcast called The Jungle Prince? which no. is from New York Times. No. Uh, it's a little bit like that in terms of like uh, a heavily sound designed um, non-fiction podcast that in it uh, uses a lot of field recordings. It's a really good podcast to listen to. And it's Ooh. like an incredible story. You would love that, Laura. All right, I'm into it. Well, actually, that's really good reference. Like that's good um, research for me because I've been uh, contacted by the Victorian Seniors Festival just to perhaps create some radio content for oh, great. seniors. Because I love that just dropping this in doing the podcast. Oh, yeah, I haven't even told us this yet. This I, forgot, I forgot about it until this end. Um, yeah, I have to like, I'm calling, uh, they're calling me on Monday. But I think that it's interesting having heard the encounter and maybe I'll listen to that over the weekend, Liam, because there is so much more you can do and it doesn't, it doesn't have like they kind of they're they're, they're interested in like a radio play, but I, I don't yeah, like you don't need to because you can kind of it's such an intimate thing to listen um, in that way, and therefore you can tell uh, kind of like the secrets and intimacies of your own consciousness as opposed to mm. like it doesn't it doesn't have to be all exterior. It can be quite interior because it is so intimate. Yeah, yeah. I think people just use the term radio play though because they just don't know what else to call it. Yeah. I, I think it's a great idea, and I think I think it's as like as, as anyone can see, i.e., you guys. Podcasts are making a huge comeback, and podcasts <laughs> are just a new name for radio plays. Like this yeah. format started with radio okay. plays. Yeah, true. yeah. I actually love a good radio play. Idea. I think it's. I mean, I, I speak from no experience other than the occasional like uni project on a sound file, but it's a super accessible um, format. Yeah. I th- You'll yeah. do something amazing. I want to help you, Laura. Like, okay, I let's do. Oh my god, be amazing! Let's do it. I think, I think you really can do a lot with a with a cheap microphone and some clever editing. You can take people. You've got like, both. Storytelling. You can do everything. Yeah, exactly. And people want. Well, it's not even want. It's like there's such a pleasure in it. It's so mm. delightful yeah. to listen to. Like I, oh, I love it. I even love being like. Sometimes I just get my friends to tell me the plots of films. I'm just like, okay. I've even, even if yeah. I've seen the film, I'm like, tell me the plot of How to Lose a Guy in Ten Days. Go. And I'm just yeah. like, <laughs> I like, love listening to it. Like, just being told a story. And that it's it's such a like primal thing. I wanted to ask you guys. So last night I watched um, a one-off documentary about. It was called um, Getting Their Acts Together, and it was about Neil Armfield and Oh yes, Rachel. I watched it. Yeah. What's it? What's the woman's Where? name? I can't. I can't believe um, I don't know it. Rachel Healy. Rachel Healy. Um, And it's, Liam, it's about them trying to program the 2020 Adelaide Festival and, like, them just going Uh all over the world. It's so good. It's It's so so good. It's so good, yeah. 
And it just made me be like, oh my God, there's so much cool shit out there. But also like, oh. what a what a job it would be to scout. I was like, oh my God, I want that job. Yeah. I was, I was fucking love be that like, job. no, thank you. Oh my God. <laughs> I love it. Like every, because I love approach. I guess, I guess the part of the job I would love the most is approaching someone and being like, do you want to be in our festival? <laughs> <laughs> would you say it because like that? Because you can't. <laughs> I would feel very special if you would. Do you want yeah, to? Yeah, I'd yes to you. <laughs> Maybe I should just create my own festival with nothing. It can be in my front yard. Yeah. I've got a good porch. People can just perform it on there. People can stand out in the street and watch it. There you go. Done. Perfect. Yeah. It's the way it begins, Laura. Exactly. And then in 10 years' time, it'll be Dark Mofo. Oh. Yeah, exactly. So was the show good? It's it's really interesting. It's Yeah, it's about them and... It, they've got like four months to find all of the acts b- before they have wow. to hit like the marketing. So they like have to solidify before the marketing begins. Uh, they go all over the place, and like it's during the time where Neil Arthur was touring um, Secret R- Secret River to Edinburgh yeah. and then to London. And then one of the cast members passed away like during the run. I didn't know that. It's horrible. I didn't know that either. Yeah. How did we miss that? The How only... did you miss that? That was massive news, yeah. Yeah. We, we must have been doing some show at the time yeah. or something. We must have had our yeah. like, head, heads buried. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so then he kind of had to drop out and then Rachel Healy had to kind of like take over and it, was, it just seemed really stressful. <laughs> and then like finally they got there. And that, because the, the other the other like centerpiece they had was this amazing circus <laughs> piece. Oh, it looked awesome. That's like. People, a circus? Yeah, it's like yeah. people using – it's from France and it's these guys using a, a earth digger. You know how they kind of, kind of spin around on their circular foot? And then yeah. so they had a plank of wood on top, like strapped to that, and then guys on the end of the plank of wood, like just like doing crazy well, circus tricks. It was like so dangerous. And she was Liam's like, Liam's mind. He's just like, oh, God, no, 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 no. <laughs> well, she was, like, I, she was like, I, I want it. this, but it's way too dangerous. Like Australia and our OHS laws are not going to be able to like cope, and then yeah, they found. But they also found said like they pretty much injure themselves every time they perform. Yeah, to the point where there's like one of the main characters in inverted commas is a um a paraplegic in the circus because he had like hurt himself from a circus performance and so um so anyway they were really excited about that but then it was like going to look really hard and finally they heard that like they figured out a way to make it work and they said yes and then right at the last minute the paraplegic was like i don't want to go to australia that's way too far like it's gonna be hot like i don't want to make the trip and then that's weird for an artist to say (laughs) yeah Yeah. it did make me be like god australia is so far away from all the like you know, the, the, there's just these huge circuits in Europe, obviously, yeah. but that we're just yeah, so well, removed from. Yeah, but, yeah. yeah, it was such a great doco. I loved it, and Annabelle Crabb narrated it, Liam. Oh, uh, I'm there. Which was I'm yeah, getting, there. getting to it. Yeah, but also I just was like, Rachel Healy is awesome. Amazing. She's a wonder woman. Yeah. Her organisation and and her rigor, because she. Yeah. So there was this one when they were kind of on a train from Amsterdam to somewhere in Poland or something. And the two of them, like, they're, they're like brother and sister. They kind of, like, bicker. And he was, like, talking to the camera going, you know, I think we've seen half a dozen programmable shows this week. And she was like, what? 
You think we've seen six shows we'd program? I'd say one. <laughs> I was like, yeah, go, girl. Yeah, and awesome. here she does, and that's why, that's why they've gotten such amazing um, audiences Reputation. and why, you know, yeah. just those two have kind of completely exploded what the Adelaide Festival is, which makes me really want to go to the Adelaide Festival whenever it's oh, allowed so to happen again. Cause it looks I mean, it must be such huge. a nightmare to do that kind of thing, though, because theatre yeah. market is got to be, I mean, we were talking before we started recording this, talking about book covers and marketing books. Theatre marketing yeah. got to be just such an oh. absolute nightmare. because yeah, it's so niche. World. Yeah. Try and yeah. sell an entire show for, you know, 90 to to $100 on a pamphlet. It's just yeah. crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And also, crazy. like, getting these acts... Over, I was a bit like, why are you looking at Australia? Like, I bet you there are acts in Australia that are doing cool things, but then they went over and I was like, oh shit, like, there's an earth mover on stage, like, <laughs> spitting around with people at the end. I yeah. see. It's our um, HMS rules here yeah. that stop us from doing awesome shit. Um, but, yeah. but also, like, these people are, if it's, you know, if it's, if it's hot property, like, there was a couple of shows that they really wanted. One was called, like, the Trilogy, the something trilogy. It was on. Um, Trip Trip mm. Yeah. And. They were like, we want you, and they're like, we will know. Like, we're going straight to West End because that's how good we are. And why would we come all the way to Adelaide yeah. Festival, do a week thing, and then have to go back? Like, and I, and and I, so I think they're looking for like that total top end stuff that's like mind blowing, like a a night you would never mm. forget in your whole life. And so because they're looking for that, it's really hard to like slot everyone's in everyone in just logistically yeah um yeah yeah it's it's, i mean god knows why you'd pick the west end over like the adelaide spiegel tent i just (laughs) all right no but adelaide you know the festival itself does have such a reputation reputation. yeah and it's such a good springboard for tours as well it's so much good stuff has come out up, up and coming actually the perth French Festival is getting bigger and bigger every yeah. year, and it seems like it's really, really heavily funded. Like the Australian yeah, has just said, "Let's do this and let's do it hard," and have poured so much money into it every year. Yes, yeah. it's, it's kind of almost dwarfing the Adelaide Festival. I'm not sure if it's yet dwarfing it, but it's well, getting I remember close. when we were there, it was huge, and like the fact that they had that huge garden, and it really felt like it really took over the city. Yeah. Whereas I feel like although Melbourne Fringe. There's so many. There's so much always happening. It, the presence of it isn't as obvious. It's not as like a party. Because it's not central. Yeah. It's not centralized. In Adelaide and Perth, you've got the Garden of Eden, and you've got these central places where everyone can congregate. But Super here, it, the gardens. Are, I don't know if you remember. We did. We did a show. We did that um, on ends play at Adelaide Fringe. Oh, that's in right. Yeah. 2016. And we found it, I mean, I haven't been to a Fringe since then, but it's, there's almost a point where, I don't know about Perth Fringe, but we found with Adelaide that it, it had almost become too much about the trendy night out in the garden and no one was seeing yeah. it anymore. There was just so many shows that were in a yeah. basement or a theatre or a back room that weren't in the garden of Unearthly Delights and no yeah. one was Thing. The only shows that people bought tickets to were the, the circus garden. show in the garden. Yeah, yeah. Everyone yeah. so so just goes there to drink. Pims and it's about and convenience. People are just so used to being convenient that they can't deal with like having to walk a block and down some stairs. Yeah. They're like, nah, I yeah. can't just stay in this. And like, yeah, that, that, that is the good thing about Edinburgh Fringe. Like when because we went there in t- 2014, and 
people are out at all hours and and dealing with stairs and like stupid <laughs> triangular low ceiling rooms and like it doesn't matter where the shit is like you're like you're willing to squat and like peek around a corner yeah. to see it because especially if it's got any kind of buzz you're just like oh like because because yeah. there's so much on and it's almost like you're having these like really special and personal and unique moments but that's what that's what breeds the best content it's like mm. it's it's like they place the hardest restrictions on any creative team like okay you've got a, a stage that's three square meters um, yeah it's also not actually geometric it's and like a kind of a triangle um and the roof is got, dripping and you've got 200 dollars yeah it's in the round but like the floor's raked and yeah. uh, we've got one we've got one ue boom as a speaker um all the best that'll like that's your system to set up and then out of I, that, births shows like Fleabag. Yeah, it's true. Incredible, incredible shows that are just raw and, and much like The Encounter, you know, you think yeah. literally and you get something that actually comes down to the... The, the best the, work comes from the cheapest, like having the, yeah. the most difficult, challenging circumstances. Mm. I think that they should, like, like the big companies like STC and MTC and mm. State Theatre Company of South Australia, they should... Every year there should be a show where the, the artistic directors have to direct that they get a budget of like $2,000 yeah. and they get independent actors in and yeah. they have to devise it. That's and so they give them all the circumstances that are petrifying mm. um, and out of con there's no control over those mm. and they have to make a work. And I guarantee it would be the best work that would be programmed there that year. Yeah. It'd be amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If they gave it the time. Because it's know, real. This week period. If they gave yeah. it a, like a staggered like two-year two process so every year it rolled out, you know, um, it would be amazing. Yeah, would be awesome. Um, I wonder if we should put an end to the podcast now or because yeah. how long will we be going? We've been going Hours? for an hour. So yeah. thank you for listening, for everyone. Uh, shout out to Stuart Moisey who messaged me today because he listened to our podcast. And thank you so much, Liam, for joining joining us from all the way yes. from Earth. You're a legend. Thanks. So nice to have our guest. And um, stay safe and well. Bye, everyone.